Hey everyone, Rob here. Since there is sort of a double bump of Christmas and New Year's, I decided to break out the last of my pandemic archive interviews to close out the year. This is a conversation with Darius Britt from the YouTube channel D for Darius, and it's practically a masterclass on becoming an independent filmmaker in this day and age. And it was amazing to get to pick Darius's brain because he's one of those indie film digital Jedis that just make you question whether or not you belong in the same space under the indie film umbrella. So I hope that you enjoy this interview and thank you for listening to us during our first year on this podcast. Kay and I will be back next week with our first episode of the new year and our first listener questions episode. So happy holidays and happy new year. Welcome to the How to Make a Movie uh, for $1,000 Season 2. This is uh, uh, this is an interview that I've definitely been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, today on the show, we have Darius J. Britt, YouTuber, filmmaker extraordinaire, uh, my brother from another mother. Uh, I'm so glad to have him on the show today to talk about it. Because if anybody, I think of, of all the guests I think that I've had, like in terms of interviewing, your opinion on how to make a movie for a thousand dollars, it's probably one that I think would be the most valuable to people who are subscribers to this channel uh, and who are watching this series. But first, uh, I want to get a little personal for a second. Cause I want to, I have a confession and I told Darius, I was waiting for us to start recording to do this. I watched a movie last night on sound and I wanted to say that, um, I told, I told Darius, like, I found you when you were in the festival circus for on sound and then followed you all the way up into when you released it. And I've always avoided watching Unsound. I love all of your shorts and different things like that, but I've, I've avoided because when I saw the trailer, I was like, this hits too close to home because I myself have dealt with, have a mother who is mentally ill and I've had to deal with that. And then I was like, I watched your movie last night. I was literally in tears. Like it was killing me softly. Like the scene where he has to testify against his mother, spoiler alert, uh, but, <laughs> but that I had to, I had a similar situation where my mother was put under observation for 72 hours and they do that situation where like the uh, person who's being accused has to face her accusers and they choose them. And I was one of those people. And oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, and I had to, you know, it's, that thing of having to face down a person that you love and tell them that you think to their face that they're a crazy person. I just like, I saw that and I, I like a look on his face and I was like, I just, I, I felt your movie like all the way through my soul. Like I, I just, oh, I was still like, like sort of in it from like last night. I came home like last night, I got off of work, 3 a.m. I'm like, let's do this. And like, <laughs> <laughs> oh <So>, man <laughs> and then i was like oh man oh god oh man um so i'm glad it resonated with you man because that was the point of 
making that and going on that entire journey, not only as a filmmaker, but kind of, you know, for me as a person reconnecting with that experience in order to bring it to life. But the whole point of it was to um, put a mirror on a situation that I don't think gets very much exposure, not the least of which from kind of a minority perspective, because I think there are certain things that may or may not play a role in that as well. But it's it's a very broad, I think everyone can understand to some degree what it's like to have to become a caretaker of a family member who can't quite uh, handle themselves. And, you know, whether it's bipolar, schizophrenia, depression, it, it's all across the board. I feel like the experience is universal. So, so yeah, man, I totally understand. <laughs> when you're like, oh yeah, I had to see my face and everything, you know, I was yeah. like, oh. I get it, bro. I get it. <laughs> I just that scene, and I, I remember like I've uh, seen the pieces of like behind the scenes where you said like uh, you couldn't afford a courtroom, so what you did was you focused on your face and her face in that yep. scene, and it works like a hundred thousand times. It works, and I was like, like you don't need it. You don't need anything else. And is so brilliant and such a piece of indie film on top of what like you're doing and stuff like that. I was like, oh my man, oh my man Darius. Nobody does it like him. Like that kind of indie creativity, just I just it, the movie resonated with me like a thousand times. And I so I'm sitting, I was told my wife, I was telling her, like after I watched it, I was like, why isn't this movie on like Amazon Prime? or like something like that, or like, or, or Netflix. Like, I feel like that's the other thing. Like I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of indie films. I've seen a lot of indie films. I've seen a lot of indie features and I'm looking at like Unsound and how polished it is, how well it sounds, um, the mix and the sound and everything and stuff like that. And it played a bunch of festivals. And I was just, was that like a personal decision for you not to like put it through or just, did you find like, you know, when you were talking to like, uh, like distributors or things like that, be like, did you realize like, it's just not a deal that like, did you not see anything that was really like beneficial to you? I think uh, by the time I got to the distribution side of it, it was clear it's going to have to be self-distribution. And at the time, Amazon and, you know, Netflix and all of that, they they weren't what they are now. So it's it's not like I could just go to Netflix and be like, hey, guys, this great movie, check it out. Like, it's it's a little more complicated than that. Usually Netflix, you know, they are not interested in a movie unless it gets a ton of sales and hype from other areas, and then they'll entertain it. But that's very much a they're kind of picking and choosing on their own. And I've noticed, too, sometimes people have an in with Netflix in order to even get someone's ear over there. So mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a little more complicated than just having like a great movie and then they just kind of come for it. And then with Amazon, it's the same thing. It's like if you're going to do direct sales or all of that on Amazon, you know, could I have thrown it up on Amazon at the time and threw a paywall in front of it? Sure. But yeah. I felt like. You know, I mean, I was seven years into my life working on this project. And at a certain point, you just get tired of wearing all of the hats. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like, I want to move on and do other stuff, you know, like I, and it just, it's like, you know, YouTube is the best platform. It's going to get the most eyeballs. It's going to find its audience there. I can promote it there. Um, 
And it's a very small, small indie film on top of that. It's a drama, you know, this mm -hmm. is not the type of film that, you know, has mass appeal. It's very niche appeal. Does it have universal aspects? Sure. But that doesn't mean it's like mass appeal, though. Mass yeah. appeal is like people see it. Oh, I got to watch that. You know, that's, you know, a tough Saturday night eating popcorn. I'm going to check that out. It's not that kind of movie. Right. right. You know? So so I felt like it, it I could best serve the community, the audience it's meant for uh, the other filmmakers who worked on it. It was best served just to release it for free on a safe platform that I know very well. And future projects sure i may you know entertain more of those traditional released platforms like netflix or amazon or something like that but i feel like that has to be something that you are planning for from go mm -hmm. it can't be like you whip a movie together and then later on down the road okay so how are we going to release it maybe amazon maybe not. no you have to be knowing what you're going to do from go right because there's deliverables there's all kind of other stuff that comes with it and with Unsound, that was another issue I ran into where, because it was so long working on this film, and in many ways, it was a film school, for me, um, the types of deliverables we would have needed for like traditional distribution, they would have mm -hmm. wanted a 5-1 mix and all of this stuff. And, you know, it's like, I just don't, I'm out, I'm tapped. <laughs> I'm done, man, you know, like... I can't do any more with this thing. You know, I edited it, shot it, you know, it's like, I just, you you have to, you, yeah, I just was, no. I'm tired tapped. of looking at my own face. I'm, I'm tapped. Sick of it. Yeah, you know. Um, I just, that's the, yeah, and I, I definitely understand, like, you know, that sort of thing where, like, you know, sometimes movies comes, come out because you just, you just want to move past. You want to move on and just go, like, I've been working on this, yeah, I feel like that with like with Barbara having not just worked on the movie, but like having done like a year long like lead up to making a movie for a thousand dollars and then making the movie and then finally releasing it. It's just like when I think about potentially going back and adding different things to it, I'm just like I that was over a year of my life. Like I can't I can't go back and like I can't. I can't. There's just there's there's a point where where you just you can work on something until it makes you blind and you can just you just need to stop. Um, I think eventually you hit you just hit a wall, too. It's like it's not that you're giving up on the project. It's not that you're not seeing things all the way through. It's just we're not Duracell batteries. We're not made of limitless energy and focus. And right. at the end of the day, when you sign up to become a filmmaker and, and get on that journey, it's because you want to make many films, not because mm -hmm. you want to spend decades making one film. So I right. think that's a part of the, the equation too. And, um, and I've just evolved as a filmmaker since Unsound in a lot of ways and felt that it was just time to move on and do some other things, you know, and, uh, I think it's had a great life and still continues to have a great life on YouTube. And I made the documentary about how we made Unsound and that only further enriched the experience of the movie. And I think what it means to people, because you get to take a peek under the hood of what it took us to make it, you know, it's not just like a, Hey, here's a couple of friends running around with a DSLR. Like it was a lot of planning. It was a lot of, uh, in the scripting process, draft after draft, like there was a lot of time and care and attention to detail that went into that. 
And I think those two have made great companion pieces. And the doc that I'm working on right now, which is a doc about the production itself, not the scripting, it's literally just the production, the lights, cameras, where we put things, how we framed it, um, the mentation and the thoughts and the strategies going behind it. I think that's gonna make another companion piece that I think between the three of them can, can offer something to the film community, at least on the indie level that hasn't been done before. I think that's one of the, the things that I really love about your channel. Cause I feel like if anything, I feel like if there's something that I definitely watch your channel for, it's definitely, I think you are the king of behind the scenes, like how to, how we, how to put this together, how I put this together. I don't think anybody goes into in depth of a production, especially since along a lot of the short films on your channel, you're like a one man band. And that is so helpful. I think to the community. Um, for those of you uh, watching, if you have not checked out Darius's uh, channel, uh, you should do so, obviously. But the his behind the scenes on uh, like his shorts um, just blow the doors off of anything I think that I've seen because they go into in depth on like the cameras, the settings, the uh the way that you shot it like why you did it what was going on the light situation like not just like i didn't just do this because i wanted to do this or i did this because not only was i trying to get this but this with the situation while that was happening like that sort of thing um and that is so valuable to the community because i i look at those things and i was like oh, oh okay all right that's yeah i gotta i gotta incorporate that one yep like there's a lot of different things <laughs> like that. And I, I feel like there are so many uh, different things where people like, you know, I'm sure you hear this too, where people, you know, like to, not to say that, uh, you know, that people are lazy, but I think people have a lot of different excuses as to why they cannot put together a project. Be like, I don't have any money. Be like, okay, well, you can, you don't need a lot of money. Like you, you can do stuff. And even if you are like a one man band, um, you know, with the right ingenuity and gumption, I feel like you can put together things that are still good um, and well worth your time. Oh, and you're yeah. going to learn things. And those things that you make will attract other people to your project in the future. That's the other thing that I think don't think that people understand. When you make stuff, you're going to share stuff. When you share stuff, people are going to come at you. They're going to say, oh, hey, I saw your short. Like, when do you need like this? Do you need that? Like that sort of stuff. I've made so many uh, friends from doing like 72 hour film festivals where you just get uh, put together with people and then you sort of find out like in the course of shooting, because every I think every film shoot is kind of like a mini summer camp and you get like this camaraderie and everybody's like, you know, you sort of find out what people's references are and things like that. And then, you know, you make a joke and somebody else gets it. And then the next thing you know, somebody's like, you know, at the end of the shoot, people are like, you know, I got this project. Um, like, would you want to get down on that? Be like, yeah, man, like that sort of thing. And then the next thing you know, you're collaborating with this person, collaborating with that person. That's the way these sort of things work. And it's just, it's, I've always been uh, really, really grateful to your sort of, uh, tactical behind the scenes uh, work uh, in showing people that it does not take much 
and there's a there's definitely practical ways of doing these things that seem like overwhelming and breaking it down to the stud so that you, people can uh, sort of see that uh, you can the do a lot that with goes a little. Behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I'm a firm believer in um, skills are freedom. Like the more skills you have, the more creative freedom you have, literally, uh, because you know how to do more things. And power is an ability to produce an effect. So if someone is powerful, they can just produce effects. If they want to do something, they can do it. And I don't mean effects as in like 3D specifically. I just mean you set your mind to do something and you can execute and you can do it. And you have a, a way or a method of fig of doing exactly that. And I think with film, um, I, th I think what's taught a lot when it comes to film is like the classical Hollywood model of filmmaking, which is here's a giant crew, here's a whole bunch of money that you have to raise. And, you know, this is what you do to make a film. And this is the only model that you make a film in. You have to have a sound guy. You got to have producers. You got to have a director. You got to have a screenwriter. You got... And the reality is there are other ways to make films. You don't have to have a big crew. Is it nice? Sure, it's nice. But there, there are other ways to learn this craft without going off the deep end. And I think if you've never made a film before or you barely know what you're doing, the thing you should not be doing is raising a crowdfund and going and trying to cast a whole bunch of people you've never worked with. Like, that's yeah. what you shouldn't be doing. Because there's so much you don't know yet and you haven't given yourself that space to learn and fumble and make mistakes and build those skills. You know, you're completely skipping the skill builder phase and just going straight to like, I am making a product for a marketplace. Mm -hmm. That makes no sense. Like in no other, and there is no other industry where that's acceptable. You can't just, well, I'm just going to skip med school and just become a doctor and start cutting people up. You know, it's like- right. There needs to be a skill building phase, you know, even in film school when I'm when we were learning how to make films, there was still a skill builder phase, you know, here's a sound recorder. This is what sound recorders do. Here's how to record a file. Here's how to do it without over modulating. This is what over modulating sounds like. Mm -hmm. Here's your exercise. Go record 10 sounds and then edit them together and make a story just recording and using the audio. Those are all skill builder things, you know? So you go, you record your 10 sounds, you overmod a few of them because you don't know what you're doing, right? Right. And then you listen, you're like, oh, wow, that's why they say don't overmod. It sounds like, you know, fried chicken. That sounds yeah. terrible. <laughs> you know, and then you cut the little thing together in the edit. Do you care about that assignment? No. Does anybody? No, of course you don't care about it. It's like, oh, here's another homework assignment. Just do this to get it done. But it's a very small exercise that you're doing that you can accomplish in a couple of days, right? Right. And at the end of that, you learned like 20 things. If you're not familiar with editing, guess what? You got to get familiar with it to, to cut the sounds together, right? You're going to make a couple of mistakes in there and be like, wait, I thought I knew how to adjust the gain here. What was that again? Oh, I went, oh, I'm adjusting the volume, not the gain. Okay, let me go back. So there's all these little things you're learning, all these mistakes you're learning along the way. So by the time you get to making your first short film, you're ready for it because you've made a ton of mistakes on a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't matter. Right. And that's what skill building is. You're giving yourself room to make mistakes and go through that, why doesn't it work for me phase? You know, right. and the problem with YouTube University is you don't go through the why doesn't it work for me phase. 
You just watch a ton of videos and you're like, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I think I got it. Cool. I got it. But you don't get anything <laughs> like you don't understand it until you actually do it. Then that's when you actually start building skills because you're making mistakes and you're bumping into that. I got it. But then when I do it, wait a minute, why doesn't it work for me? What right. am I doing wrong? That's where all the skills are built right there because now you have to figure out why it's not working, right? So you have to rewatch the video. What am I doing different? Oh, there's a setting there I missed. You do the setting, now it works. But now that knowledge that you have, it's a skill now. It's not just knowledge because a skill is all about the practical, the mm -hmm. actual doing of it. Knowledge is all about the theoretical. You know, you can know how to swim, but never set foot in a pool. Right. You can you can tell someone else how to swim, but have never set foot in a pool. But the second you get into a pool, what happens? You don't know how to swim. It's like you can read all the books in the world, but that's not going to show you what it's like to feel the water in your fingers and how it feels on your muscles in your body and like what paddling feels like. And that stuff you have to actually do to understand. And that's where knowledge becomes a skill is in the actual doing of it, making mistakes, forgetting things and remembering them again. That's all context for knowledge. And that's how skills are formed. And you don't get that just watching videos. So, right. and I feel like that's the problem with filmmakers when they're starting out and they indulge too much of like the classical Hollywood way of doing it. And they don't realize there's another way is that they, bypass the skill builder phase because they don't even know that there is such a phase you know and you get a little of that in film school the filmmakers who get online and are self-taught but they're very proactive about just doing exercises right and they're just very curious about the process like they watch a video on how to shoot slow-mo and they pick up their camera and they go shoot some leaves in the backyard slow-mo and then they drop it in the edit and slow it down like they're like actively doing things as they're learning those guys pick it up really fast you know, by the time they're making their first short film, they're a lot further along on the technical road than, say, someone who the first time they're thinking of doing their short film, their short film, they buy their camera, right? And then the camera sits in the closet for like six months while they write a screenplay and spend months and months raising money. And then the first time they're actually touching their camera is the day before their shoot, you know? And it's like, what, what do you think is going to happen, bro? Like... If you're going to make a ton of mistakes, you know, like that's not how you learn anything. You're like no. you have to, you have to do it, but do really small, easy, executable exercises. And I like recording and shooting on my own because to me, what's more important is getting that 10,000 hours in, you know, like I think having a team is great, but what's even better is if you know every trade of your craft so well, that you can get the most out of your team because you can speak their language and right. you know how to do their job. If, if like, if not as good as them, better than them, because then you can get the most out of them and they're learning from you just like you're learning from them. I think that is better. You know, I want to be the type of director that is like, this stuff is muscle memory to me. I don't have to think about it. And so when we have discussions about how we should, you know, cover this scene, I'm not completely reliant on you to say, hey, I have no clue what we're doing here. What do you think we should do? I want to be on the same level of, well, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? And we can hash it out and find a middle ground that's better than the sum of its parts. I right. think that's how great films are made.
but you know that's my philosophy that's what i subscribe to and that's why i have no problem running into a short film and shooting it in a couple of days cutting it together and throwing it online because <laughs> at the end of the day it's like it doesn't matter if it sucks all that matters is i'm growing fast that's all that matters and hollywood rewards people who make their own films you know they want to see people who can get stuff done on their own merits and not be like looking for a handout all the time because right. i mean that's old you know it's like can you do your own thing and garner your own audience and do your own ideas and do it for a budget like learning how to create a film for next to nothing that is a skill set that follows you into things like Hollywood or large commercial shoots, because those are skill sets you still have to rely on even when you have a pile of money to shoot. Right. Well, that's, so. that's one of the things like we've talked about uh, being a cinemathematician. There yeah. are, uh, which is my favorite thing because there's a, and I see this on, you know, in your behind the scenes and uh, you know, where you're walking onto a set and you're adding things up you've uh, you've done a lot of work you know obviously in prep when you're doing different things you're like okay i need this and i need that like all of these things add up to what i'm imagining they may not totally get there but they're going to get most of the way there like sometimes your math doesn't add up and you're like well that didn't come out the way i wanted it to but at least you're able to put things together but the experience you have to have that experience of having been on sets and having done different things and figuring out what things because i think I, if you've been doing a lot of different things like i think i went to my first film with a lot of with the ability to sort of edit in my head where i was like all right i got what i need i can move on but i think it wasn't until my second movie where i was able to sort of add things up beforehand and on set where i was like all of these things that i need are going to uh do that sort of math where i can bring what's in my head out onto like uh camera and you can execute it right that execution of being able to put things together because all right i need these actors because they're going to give me these kind of uh reactions um and you do that through the casting and then i'm on if i get through uh if i use this money here then i can save money here like that sort of thing and the idea of being able to put these things together and then going on to a set and being able to evaluate like okay uh shoot this angle shoot that angle shoot that angle and then if i do I get all those i can bypass all these other different things but that's all stuff that you're going to learn through experience it's not going to be something that you're going to learn there's no shortcut like, there's no you just you have to get through it you just have to do it you have to be able to have that those those experiences those failures those other different failures like on top of that in order to properly be able to do cinematic it takes it's so many different calculations because you're so you're constantly doing things on the fly even when you have a plan you're doing things on the fly because a lot of people call uh you know making films like ordered chaos because there is constantly things that just get thrown into your wrenches like oh man it's, it's extreme problem solving yeah it's it, it is and it's like up to like minute to minute you know what i mean like there's those things where it's like okay um i have to feed everybody and i only have a hundred dollars to do it and also the hundred dollars that i have to do it is in a hundred dollar bill that i'm also using as a prop so I can't feed people until I this hundred dollar bill. 
you know, it's, uh, but then, but the scene where I'm using this hundred dollar bill isn't until the other end of the day. So now I got to figure out like how to feed people like, you know, like through the day, like that kind of weird crap. Like that's the type of stuff that you're going to come up against, you know, not to mention the fact that you're just going to deal with, you're also going to deal with people and temperament and like, oh, yeah. that doesn't, there's nothing that can prepare you for that because I think that's sort of my focus right now as a director is like finding out how to be malleable in terms of actors because each actor that you work with has a different process and some people they just want you to give them the lines and they're going to say them how they're going to say them and then you can make suggestions and stuff like that but they don't want any line readings they don't want any like uh, outside influence they just want to stay in their process some people want to be directed some people want notes after every take like what did you what did you what did you how did you feel about that one was it good was it bad and you got to come up with you know that person is like that you got to come up with a note they want because if you if you don't have anything they either won't respect you or they think that they're failing they'll put it back on themselves and so i think the best thing with that is just to talk to them about their process beforehand so you right. don't have to play the guessing games you know hey how do you work best and let them tell you so that you can serve them as best you can as a director and be that safety net for them. Right. And I think when, when you're talking about like how to make a film for a thousand dollars, you know, point number one for me in working up to making a film for them, and we'll just say a short film, you know, for a thousand, mm -hmm. you can do a feature. Sure. But uh, a short is more attainable right now. Mm -hmm. So point number one to working your way up to making a film for a thousand dollars is not to make a film for a thousand dollars. I think the first thing you should do is make three short films. You know, three scenes first, that's just a couple of friends, uh, beginning, middle, end scene, you know, maybe around a coffee table. It's going to be talking heads, sure. But we got to build up to the other stuff and you got to start somewhere, right? So I think step one, shoot three scenes with just some friends, one scenes, beginning, middle, end. Uh, maybe the first scene you shoot, don't even use a sound recorder. If you're not far along enough yet to be doing dual system sound and all that, just use a camera top mic, right? And then scene number two, add another element that maybe you didn't use the first time. Maybe you use one light or get the, your friends close to a window light or something. Just like add one element at a time, but what's more important is you just keep producing and keep making, right? Maybe that third scene, and all these should be shot by yourself. You shouldn't be looking for crew for this, okay? So maybe that third scene is you're using one light and you actually use a sound recorder, like a cheap sound recorder, like a H1 Zoom or something. Yeah, Zoom H1. Yeah, you know, and after that, those first three scenes are done, then you shoot your first like microfilm by yourself. Maybe it's only two, three pages. and you know, at first it'll be hard to think of ideas that could be so short and so minuscule with preferably not that much dialogue, but that's part of your growth and development is to think outside of how you want to do, you know, like every time we think of a film, it's always this big grandiose thing. And it's like, you got to break out of that. You know what I mean? You'll never get anything done if all you're trying to do is magnum opuses or something, you know, it's like, when are you ever going to learn if everything is a big project? Like everything can't be a big project. Well, even if so, you're into something like, like I know a lot of people are horror heads, you know, something like that. You've got to learn about tone. Like how do you actually scare somebody? Like yeah. what, what is the mechanics behind actually building a tone of dread or terror? You know, you're not just going to immediately like stabbing gore. I feel like a lot of people are immune to that. We've all seen people get stabbed. We've all like, you know, even stuff like, 
you know, you're watching NCIS, like whatever, and you know, people get stabbed and stuff. It's not necessarily terrifying. So I think mm -hmm. people are numb to a lot of that stuff. But if you care about characters, if you, you, you know, if you invested in something like that, that's what, that's what builds uh, anticipation. That's what builds terror. That's what builds dread. And learning that sort of, learning to create that sort of tone, that terror, that dread is going to be most valuable. You're not just going to get it from, you know, covering a knife in corn syrup and like, no. you know, like pretending to stab someone on camera. There's tension. There's tension that needs to be built in suspense. Right. And those are all technical things. Right. You know, that's not something you accidentally do. You got to know what you're doing. Right. And I think, um, you know, after those three scenes, when you hit that first like microfilm, really limit yourself, you know, no more than two pages or three pages, something really small. And if you don't have ideas, troll YouTube for short films. There's tons of short films that were made for next to nothing that are under like two, three minutes. There's tons of them, you know, watch those. You'll have an idea. If you watch 10, 20 of those, I guarantee you, you'll have an idea. Yeah. You can write out and do, but if, all, but if you're not out there looking, how are you going to get inspired? Right. So, or if all you're looking at is star Wars, you know, and then you're like, okay, now I got to think of a two minute, you know, it's like, no, like input equals output. If all you're putting in is all this inaccessible stuff that you, that's not where you're at. Well, guess what your output's going to be. All you're right. going to think about is stuff like that. You're not going to have ideas for stuff at your skill level. So well, you need to like look at work of your peers and people who are at where you are or doing the things that you want to do in just that. And you'll notice that your creative juices will flow a little differently and it won't be so hard to come up with those small, easy execution ideas that are like one location with only a couple of actors or maybe one actor and a whole lot of voiceover, but that's your next step. Okay. And then shoot three of those by yourself. You know, that to me is phase one. They're all going to suck. They, they very well may all suck. That's why you shouldn't spend a whole lot of time on them. Right. Because it's going to suck anyway, right? That scene you shoot with your friends, just do it in like a couple of days. One, two, three days. Just get through it. You know, but I think what you'll find is that what is more powerful isn't so much of when am I going to make a film that's great, that's going to launch my career. When you actually start to just do and put one foot in front of the other and get active, You'll be more excited about the progress you're making and how fast you're making it. You'll be more focused on that and how to make more progress. Mm -hmm. And the the urges to like blow up tomorrow or whatever will will die <laughs> down, you know, because I, I know those pressures. It's like you're so anxious to like get a career going and get it going and get it going that it's like you deem other things to be not worth your time unless right. it is something that's going to blow you up. But that's because you're not doing anything. Yeah. So if you're if you do something and you actually put learning first, that will die down naturally because you're going to be so busy doing stuff and learning stuff at a rapid pace that you won't be entertaining all those picadillos of fear and anxiety and look what this person's doing on Instagram and what am I doing like you'll be so busy moving you won't be looking at all of that, right? right. Or at so, least you'll be, your brain will adapt and sort of thing where you will start looking at the things that other people are doing and taking inspiration from it rather than jealousy. Rather um, than comparison. Yeah. And compare, right. compare and despair, as they say. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, if you put the learning curve first, though, knock out three scenes by yourself and then knock out three micros by yourself, you'll be in a much better position to talk about bringing people on board after that because maybe those first three micros you make maybe the last two will be half decent 
you know, yeah. maybe you upload them online and private them, or maybe you share them in some Facebook groups and get feedback from other filmmakers. But I think if you're starting out and you're trying to assemble a crew, it's going to be very hard to do if you have no track record. Right. If you, if you've made nothing and you go out and you're like, Hey, I'm new to filmmaking and I want to like bring people on board and help me make films. Nobody's going to be excited to work with you. If you have no work to show, because they're going to be like, okay, you know, I could give this person my time and possibly work for free and we collab, but what am I going to get out of it? Like, right. here's what I've done. I've done this, this, this. These are the skills I bring to the table. What do you bring to the table? And if all you got is an empty bag and, hey, let's work together and I'll learn all this stuff from you, but I have nothing to bring to the table to enrich this relationship. Right. I have nothing to, to show you. They're not going to want to work with you, man, because you're not putting in the time. You're not cutting your teeth, you know? So before you can attract collaborators, you must first represent the type of person people want to collaborate with, which is a hard worker who knows his stuff. That's what you got to be, you know? You got to put the learning curve first. So I wouldn't even entertain going and finding other people till you've made three micros, shot three scenes, solo. Period. Right. No ifs, ands, or buts. You got to put in the time. Then after that, maybe start going on Facebook groups or forums, or if you're in a film school or whatever, like then start looking for collaborators for that, that next one. But I would bring one collaborator in at a time. I wouldn't go out in the next film. I want to hire a whole bunch of people. Nope. Bring one at a time. Okay. I'm shooting, I'm directing and whatever. I'm going to bring one person to help me with lighting. That's it for this next film. Then you go shoot that next film. And then the next time you bring in one more person. So it's like, as you slowly scale up, your skills are increasing exponentially as you slowly scale up. So that to me is a way to do it. And you're also going to be learning how to shoot stuff more cheaply because of course you're going to be watching YouTube and stuff as you're doing all of this. Mm -hmm. You're still going to be going to YouTube University or Skillshare or MZ or whatever. So it's like by the time you scale up to the level where you can shoot like a 10 minute short film, you're going to know a whole bunch of shortcuts to keep it cheap. You might not even need to run a crowdfund campaign, you know, like right. it's... Right. I remember, that's how like, to do it. I remember when I first, I think uh, that sort of brings me back to like way back in, I think it was like 2007. And I was finally able to put together a 15 minute short that actually got when I was showed it to people, people were like, oh, that's really good. It was the first time that I got a lot of really great feedback from a short that I had mm. done. And I've been making shorts for years and shooting and everything, but it was finally one where I had put, you know, my money where my mouth was. I worked with the right people. I built up a crew like one at a time, like brought in this person, brought in that person, and then finally was able to execute. And then when I put it in front of an audience, people were like, That's, there's something there. That's something I've got, you've got something there. And that was the blueprint, what became my first feature film. But it took me years of being of just like scraping and putting it together and doing different things and flying and, and, and learning different stuff like and having a camera learning my camera not just buying a camera but learning the camera all of those things it took me to that point like getting to up to working up to that 15 minute short film that was compelling where i finally was like okay maybe now i can actually do a feature film i think i'm like maybe ready to tackle that and being able to, to do that, like to find the blueprint of here's how to make these different things. And Rodriguez talks about that in his book, Rebel Without a Crew. Like he finally got to the point with Bedhead where he was like, I just have to do this 
like I just have to like make this like three different times. Like I just have to take this this process and like duplicate it like like three different times, and then I can make a film. You know that sort of thing of finding the blueprint of. And he still what, makes films for cheap relative to yeah. uh, other budgets, and which is why he still gets work. If you can make ten cents look like a dollar, you'll never go out of business. Period. Yeah. Right not in Hollywood, not on YouTube, not anywhere. No. If you if you have the skills to make 10 cents look like a dollar, you're in there. But all of that comes down to just putting in the time. And I think so step 1 is like shoot those three micros, shoot those three short scenes or whatever. Step 2 um to me for shooting a a low budget film or a $1000 film, stop studying Godfather. Stop listening to film essays about Apocalypse Now and Dark Knight stop those things are not going to help you shoot a cheap film am i saying never study them they're bad no i'm not saying that i'm just saying honor the phase that you're in because you only have but so much time and you want to maximize your time and your learning and if you're studying a lot of things that were created for resources you don't have access to it's a waste of your time do it for fun sure but when you're trying to get down to brass tacks, I got this film I want to shoot for $1,000. How am I going to do it? What kind of camera angles am I looking at? How often can I move the camera? For a thousand bucks, bro, you're not moving that camera a whole lot. <laughs> Unless you already own a dolly or you already own a slider and you know how to work it because you do commercial shoots or something. Unless you already have that gear and know how to use it, it ain't going to happen. You're going to, you're looking at a lot of shots on sticks. Right. Especially you know? since having made a film for $1,000 and I've made, it it be my third feature film i moved the camera one time yeah it, one. it costs it costs money to move the camera it costs money it costs time people's schedules you know what i mean so but you're not going to know that if all you're doing is looking at all these films that were made in the days of yore for millions of dollars and all these camera moves and cranes and all this other stuff and you're thinking oh yeah i'm gonna do that in my film no you're not not for a thousand dollars you know what i mean it's like you have to look at other pieces or bodies of work that have been made for that same amount and there's plenty of them out there mm -hmm. but you have to study that stuff when i made unsound for pennies practically for what holly i mean we made that film for what hollywood would spend one day on snacks for their actors right oh, but, yeah. but i studied other films that were made in that vein like uh strays from vin diesel man that was like my bible i studied i must have watched that film 10 times it's like okay how are they covering the scene how often do they go for close-ups how often are they using wide shots how often are they doing scenes where they're not covering it at all what are the angles like are they claustrophobic are they using long lenses wide lenses like study 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 because they made a film with the amount of money i could actually get an amount of money i could actually charge on a credit card right so when it came to shooting unsound studying movies like that showed me what's possible so i don't have to question can we do this no i know we can do this right because this guy did it and 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 this guy did it that's how you get the playbook for shooting films for a thousand dollars or under or five thousand and under that's how by studying other films that were made for that amount of money right godfather wasn't made for that amount of money no Love coppola you know i love the movies to death they're great but that's not going to get you from point A to point B. When you start, you know, reaching a point where you can command a lot more funds, then sure, study those movies. When you can command a million dollars, five million dollars, whatever. Great. Study those movies till the cows come home. When you can actually get money to get a composer and, you know, build out the soundscape where you can build tension and all that. Great. 
study all those films till the cows come home. But you have to honor where you're at. You know, you're never going to learn how to ride a bicycle if you're watching videos about people riding motorcycles. Right. You know what I mean? That ain't going to show you how to ride a bike. So that's step two. You have to study films within your budget range. And that goes for short films as well. Um, and same thing, you know, if, if you're tasked to make a short film that's five minutes long, study other shorts that are five minutes long. You know, how did they do it? Build a list of them, build an Excel spreadsheet, like build yourself a catalog where you can find the patterns. How often were they shot outdoors? Like this is chess, man. This isn't checkers. You know but what I mean? Also, it's like, it's also like, what can I do in five minutes? Because it doesn't seem like you can do for a, like a lot in five minutes. But if you look at what other people have what done. other people have done you see people have, have told entire epics in five minutes animators do that stuff all the time it's amazing what people can do in like 11 and a half minutes what people do with like regular cartoons like and like cartoons and stuff like that most of those people they're doing like things for like uh children's television shows most of those things are 11 and a half minutes and these people are telling full-fledged stories beginning middle and arc like they've got a whole thing what can you do in five minutes and that, but if you've never made a five minute short, you don't know what's possible. You don't know, like, or if you're not I, watching them, right? Like, you yeah. might think, and you'd be like, well, that's not long enough to tell my story. How do you know? Have you tried to break it down? Because I've done that myself, where it's like, I've literally taken, you know, uh, entire pilots and broken them down into a, like a five minute like story. Like, here's the, here's a, here's a proof of concept of what the thing. And if you're trying to tell the story for a thousand dollars, that might be valuable to you. Take what is the core of your thousand dollar story or of your 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 feature story or whatever like that. Break it down into five minutes. Tell this story in five minutes. How can you get the core, the the emotional heart of what that story is in five minutes? Break that shit down and do it and like and it could just be a teaser too like where right. you're not you're not doing a whole feature for say you're just picking one moment in that bigger canvas mm -hmm. you're just picking one moment or one event and you're capturing that in five minutes right and it and it works too i think for five minute films doing world building is not a good idea like trying to do a sci-fi short where there's all this universe building and there's all these rules to this universe not it's not a good idea for like a five minute you don't have enough time to do that Right. You know, and that's the same for dramas that require a lot of backstory, you know, like five years ago, my dad died. But before he died, he left me this coat and this coat does this thing. And and my brother always wears the coat, but I want the coat from him now. But he owns the coat from, you know, it's like doing all this like detail. It's not going to work like right. you need a premise that is very simple, like a five minute short about a guy breaking up with his girlfriend. That's very simple. That's right. something you can tell right there in the moment. You don't need a lot of backstory. It's like, we get it. You know, the guy seems unhappy. They're very feely touchy at the beginning. Oh, they must be girlfriend, boyfriend, you know? And then, you know, you see him trying to subtly give her the idea, you know, I'm not happy. Uh, I don't want to do this. Right. You don't need any backstory with that. Like you, you kind of get it right there in the scene. The conflict is right there in the scene, you know? Um, well, you did that also with Seafood Tester, like which becomes sort yeah. of the uh, the end of Unsound. Which was but... the that was like the backbone essentially of Unsound. It was right. just it went in and swooped in and captured one event, right. and that was I think that was like ten or eleven minutes. But we still had the same challenges right. of like I want to do this feature, but I also want to do a part of it for a short. But I mean, how do you do that? Well, you don't do it by trying to condense the entire feature into the short. You, yeah. you do it by like isolating one moment. And will somebody be able to extrapolate the larger story from that? No, of course not. All no. that is, all you really need to do is make, make them feel something 
and get the heck out of there. That's it. Right. That's all. Well, that's all you owe them. Make them feel something, a little context, and get out. And if you do it well enough, you get the idea that there is a bigger world that can be explored here. Mm-hmm. But it just leave it open though. You don't try to put all these. Well, you know, actually, you know, this is a twenty-year story. You don't really need to do all of that. Like then, that's how you end up with clunky exposition. Yeah, you, know? you like, want to give the audience enough room to hang themselves with, like yeah. that sort of thing. And if you give the audience a chance to, if you open it up and give the audience a chance to extrapolate where they have to, that makes them bond with the characters. That's going to put them in the character shoes because they're going to see stuff where they're going to be like, oh, okay, oh, I know what that's about. And they're going to say, well, they, well, maybe he did this or maybe this relationship is like this. And forcing the audience to extrapolate is going to force them to bond with the characters, force them to empathize. It makes them participants in the storytelling process because they have to fill in the blanks. Right. And if they're engaged, then they're watching. And then you've got, that's what you need. That's what you want. Ultimately, is you want an an audience to engage with your film. You don't want them to be thinking about TikTok or, you know, like different things or something like that. Because there's so many different things to watch and stuff like that. So you need engagement. You need someone to like sit down and to be able to engage with your characters. And that's ultimately what this whole thing is about. So you want, if you're telling a story, you want people to engage with your story, with your characters. And if they have to do that by, you know, uh, extrapolating what is going on with them instead of you necessarily like filling their mouths with a bunch of exposition, which is tempting. If you've all been there when you're doing stuff and you want, especially if you created like a rich backstory for these characters, you just want to get that out there, but you, you you gotta, you gotta fight that. You gotta fight that that instinct with everything you got. It's just it's hard though. It's so hard. Well, I would say you know the first you know few films somebody makes follow follow your urges. If you feel like you need to explain things, do it. That's the whole point of those first few films is to fall on your face and make dumb mistakes, so that you can learn why people say less is more when it comes to dialogue. Why backstory can be so clunky if you pick narratives that have a ton of backstory and you don't have enough time to show those things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more beneficial to make the mistake to learn why the rule exists. Cause then you respect it or not the rule, but the guideline. Right. Cause then you respect it. You're like, Oh, I personally made that. And I saw how clunky it was. And no matter what I did, it just was just like, uh, like the dialogue was just like, uh, what is this? Like, it's like the characters don't want to speak, but I'm making them speak and the audience feels it. And it's just like, he would be, if they were brothers, they would never say this because they both know it. And, but there's no other way for me to communicate this information. And then, well, the real problem is you put yourself in a position where you have to communicate information that you shouldn't be communicating in five minutes in the first place, because you're trying to tell like a 30 minute story in a five minute container. And that was the initial problem, not the dialogue. You know what I mean? But it's like, if you've experienced these things firsthand, you'll never forget those if you experience it, but just hearing it on a YouTube video, it doesn't mean anything. There's no context for that knowledge. You know, it's just like, okay, I heard it. It's kind of a platitude. Okay, cool. I got it. But when you get on set or you're writing your script, you're not going to remember that. Well, yeah, I think everybody, and like, even if you were stubborn enough to like, like you wrote this big piece of dialogue and you wanted it so bad, like you want, you felt like this is like what the thing is. I think every filmmaker has had that experience will or will have the experience of writing something that you thought was like the crowning achievement or like waiting for this moment where it was like a bunch of dialogue and then you get into the edit 
and you found out that you can just cut the whole thing and replace it with a look. Yeah. I still and get that sometimes. Not a whole just, bunch of dialogue, but it just like kills you like every time you like I spent so much time getting this right. Like I like you properly lit it, like you did all the things and you were just like, I got this whole thing off with like a three second look. Like that whole thing was just like a look. I didn't have to say it. None of it was worth it. Like or not that it was nothing was worth it. Like you learn something by shooting it, but you definitely learn something in the experience of it. But you that experience of like what is possible or what things are possible with beyond like the comp like with the using like human body language and different things like that those are things that you're not going to learn the power of acting right <laughs> the power of just a look uh i think point number three for me would be like all right so the first was you know shoot three scenes and then shoot three micros the second was study other films at your level so if you're tasked to make a two-minute film then watch other short films that were two minutes if you're tasked to make a five minute short, watch other shorts that were five minutes. You have to study the things that are where you are. If you're gonna make a feature, which you, you know, presumably you're not gonna be there yet, but theoretically, if you're gonna make a feature for like say $2,000, well then you should be watching a whole lot of Mumblecore films because those guys made feature films for next to nothing. That's what you should be watching. You shouldn't be watching Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. You shouldn't be watching Star Wars or Jurassic Park or, or film essays on all of, Chris Nolan's film, like that's not no, stop it because you're wasting your wow. time. You know, Swanberg. you have to watch where you're at. Yeah, all, pretty any of the Mumblecore guys, Schwanberg, Swanberg, he's made stuff for ridiculously cheap. But you can see the progression of his skill set. You know, mm -hmm. over the years of him just cranking these things out, it's like you get really, really efficient. You know, then you can get fancy, but you got to start simple now, get fancy later. But number three for me would have to be this is more a mindset thing. It doesn't matter if you want to be just a cinematographer or if you want to be just a director or if you want to be just a, an actor or just a producer. It doesn't matter if you want to specialize in any one skill set. I think we live in a day and age where you have to create your own opportunities. You can't live in Wyoming somewhere where there's next to no film industry and expect to specialize as a cinematographer and make films there's not going to be enough work happening around you for you to shoot enough and build up your skill set there's there's not enough happening like if you're gonna have to generate your own projects that you can shoot that you can use to build your skills right which means you're going to have to be open to being a director and you're going to have to be open to being a writer writer right yeah in order to generate the projects to do this or, or else you need to work at a commercial house or something and shoot a lot of commercials or do a lot of real estate you got to do something to build your skill set right but if you're not doing any of those other things you're not looking to have a career like making money in the commercial sector you know to finance your projects if you're not going to do that then you need to be generating your own projects to shoot right because it's not going to happen any other way you know you can't go from zero to 60 and say, oh, I want to be a cinematographer. I'll watch a whole bunch of, I'll buy a camera, watch a whole bunch of film theory on cinematography. And then I'm just going to wait to get on someone's project and shoot for them. That ain't going to happen. You got so nobody at work. With yeah. red cameras and no experience. Just. Yeah. They're going to be like, okay. And who are you? What have you done? Like right. put some skin in the game, bro. Like show me that you want this, like do some work. And so we can see where you're at. 
then you're going to be open to collaborations. But if you're just going to walk in again with an empty bag and just say, hey, everyone, I know you've all invested all this time and money in your respective areas, but here I am. I haven't put my skin in, but here I am. No, man. <laughs> or you need to work with somebody who's at your level, you know, like someone else who's done absolutely nothing and they're just trying to direct or something. Then you need to work with someone else at your level. But you can't be reaching up the ladder to people who spent years and you're trying to collaborate with them and you have just started. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to you and it's not fair to them because they're trying to collaborate with people who are also at their level so that they can grow together and right. learn from each other. If you're trying to reach up to them and like you have everything to gain out of this collaboration, all the exposure, all the people they're working with, all the knowledge, but you have nothing to give to it. That's not fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's just not, it's not fair. Like your time is better spent either generating your own projects that you can learn and attack that learning curve. Like there's no tomorrow. So then if there's no shoots going on, doesn't matter. You can generate your own. You know, if you're not strong in screenwriting, don't write a whole lot of dialogue. Right. Just write a, a very pretty premise. You know, somebody's out in the forest and something happens or, you know, a couple that they're having issues, but there's relatively no dialogue. And it's all about the visuals and communicating. Like, just don't write a whole lot of dialogue. Right. You know, that's not your bad. Just go through. Like... Yeah. But you have to be open to creating your own opportunities right. because you can't get to the level where you can do a couple of scenes and three micros. You can't get to that level if you're always waiting for somebody else to come along on a ship that you can hop on and sail with it. No, like, don't be a sailor, be a captain, like generate a ship, create your own wave. And then when you start to sharpen your skills, don't, you'll be surprised how many people want to work with you. Right. Then you can afford to specialize. Oh, okay. Well now I just want to be a cinematographer. Great. Specialize then, but right. specialization when you're starting out, you kind of got to be open to other trades being learning sound. You got to learn that when you're starting out, man. Sound is so important. And I feel yeah. like that's, that's the thing that a lot of people don't get and a lot of beginners don't get is how important sound is because, you know, everybody says that, uh, you know, like sound it's is 80% like, of the experience, right. literally. But a lot of people will say like, if, you know, people will forgive like a bad, you know, that's, that's another one of those rules that people say that people are like, oh, I don't believe that. But like, you know, people are like, I'll forgive a bad picture, but I can't forgive bad sound watch a film with someone where you've had bad sound and watch them check out immediately like it doesn't matter how pretty it is if they can't hear it they check out because that's sound is everything sound is literally everything and it, you just cannot skimp on that and learning how to do that properly is an art and that's why when you see when you finally do get up to those levels where you're finding people to collaborate with those sound guys do not come cheap because no. they know that they have a, a valuable skill set and that they are like invaluable to a production. If you can get a sound guy, like a guy who knows what he's doing on your set at like a low price or for free, you've gotten a gift, my friend. You've got a gift from God and you should probably play the lotto because that shit don't happen <laughs> like often. It's just one of those things. Sound guys know what they're worth. Cinematographers, you know, they're artists and stuff like that, but they're very easy to come by i feel like there's a lot of guys who want to be cinematographers but a good sound guy is like it's like finding gold it's like one of those things I mean, if you can do that yourself then you have made that you have a very valuable skill set 
It's incredibly valuable. And again, skills are freedom. So I think when you learn sound and what comes with that, you open yourself up to a lot of uh, creative opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't have known, you know, mm -hmm. ways to build suspense and tension and sound bridges and scenes and edits and um, mixing things in a certain way to elicit emotions. Or if you're mixing surround, like I feel like sound is one of the quickest ways to delineate a skill level of a filmmaker or where they are on their journey is sound. Because right. it's not about like how clean is your sound? Like, oh, was the mic in the right place? It's not just that. It's all of the extra things, you know, how to sweeten voices, you know, noise and re noise reduction and all that is like, that's a given. Yes, of course you want, that's like doctoring up the sound to, to make it like here, right? But there's so much between a nominal normal level and making it amazing. That's the stuff that separates like the wheat from the chaff where it's like people are listening and they feel like there's a certain level of execution happening here that's not common, but they can't quite put their finger on it. They don't know what it is, but when they're listening to your stuff, it just sounds amazing. That's the stuff that unlocks doors where other people at your level, like I know if something sounds really good and I can generally point out what it is. But I'm more impressed by that than I am visuals because I mean, shoot something at magic hour in a forest with a pretty lady. It's like, it's not hard to make something look pretty. You know what I mean? It's like given the right conditions, it's fairly easy to do. Um, I'm not taking anything away from a great cinematographer because obviously somebody, someone puts the time to, to really hone that skill set. It is very impressive. You right. know, if somebody can really really create and generate a beautiful image yes however it's it's much less common that i run into well done soundscapes right less common if you can do both bro you already got a career what are we even talking why you know what i mean it's like just go do your thing you know but but i feel like you know being open to that you have to be open to that um and so for that third point you know to be open to rounding out your skill set at least so that you can self-generate projects, you have a much higher likelihood of not only being able to generate projects for cheap that can potentially go somewhere, but also you have a higher likelihood to specialize mm -hmm. later on because now you have a body of work to point to, to say, this is why I could shoot your stuff. Look at what I did. Oh, okay. You have a sampling of which people can look at and say, is this something, was this a direction we want to go? Do they have similar taste as me? Do I want to work with this person? Yes or no, but I know someone else who might want to work with them. But right. you have work to show, to show that not only are you serious, but you're putting the time in and you're going to do this whether I work with you or not, I'm going to make stuff. Right. And I think that's a, a more powerful position to be in because people know this guy is serious. He's about putting in the work and... Yeah, you know, like this guy's gonna, he's gonna make stuff happen. Right. So I, I definitely, and I've definitely gotten jobs where, like, you know, uh, even there was a, you know, a, a friend of mine was doing a, a feature film. We never worked together, but you know, I sent him a movie that I did, and immediately he was just like, "Oh, okay." Like I didn't know, like you know, you can know of someone, like they're doing different things, but when they see your work, and then they're going, "Oh, okay," that no, I definitely want to work with this person because of like, I've seen what they're about, what they've done. And now, um, you know, like, and now I wanna work with this person. And I'm sure that you can like uh, attest, like I'm, I've been doing this 
for a very long time. And I'm just starting to get in my own personal work, like uh, things that I'm proud to uh, go and show people, be like, this, this is the work that I'm capable of. These are the things that I've done. And to be able to show things, I am just starting to get to a place where things that I imagine, things that I have wanted to make are now coming out relatively close to the way that I imagined them. And it takes a while to get to that point. Um, yeah, it's closing the creative gap, the yeah. gap between your taste and what you can actually do. Yeah. When you your start off, there's a huge gap, right? It's like when you start off, you have all these things you want to do because you've seen them. So, you know, they exist, you know, like I've seen in Star Wars, they had, they did this thing and a guy flew in air. So it's like, I know what's possible because right. I've seen it. But when I go to do my own ideas and I try to do what's possible, I can't do any of it. So it's like the gap between your taste, which is the stuff you want to do, and what you can actually do is immense because you don't know anything. Right. Right. So it's like, oh, I I know that I know that my images can be very clean, but how come when I record all my injuries are noisy? Oh, because your ISO is too high. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It's like so it's like that's what the gap is. It's like because you don't know so many things, you can't execute and bring to pass your vision because you don't know how to get to it. That's the gap. And it just takes time to close that gap. And some people close it really, really fast. Like if you're very practical and you shoot a lot of stuff, you can close the gap real fast. Right. But if it takes you forever to shoot anything and you're just learning at this snail's pace, it's going to take a really long time to close that gap. I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many videos where it's like how to get that Hollywood look. How to yeah. get that film look what they're really saying is how to close the gap between what you imagine and what you can execute like that's really what they're trying to say that's the question that can't be answered in those videos sure yeah. you can make things that look then you can put LUTs on things and 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 learn to put you know and shoot you know even phones now shoot um and log you know you can learn to shoot log and 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 then put a LUT on things and color correct to your eyes get bleed you know that sort of thing and you can learn to do that and and you know because it's all about you know settings and push, pushing buttons and stuff like that and you know that sort of stuff but what you can't learn from a youtube video what you can't get like the hollywood look is you can't learn how to properly shoot an actor or capture a moment until you have learned to do all of these other different things and then create that put all of those skills together, put sound together, you know, like, and to use you as an example, that scene that we were talking about where you're like, I don't have a courtroom. We can't afford a courtroom, but I have to show, show the scene that takes place in a courtroom. Um, and you, what you, what do I need in order to be able to do this? And you put two actors, two uh, extreme close-ups of actors, like these sort of generic backgrounds behind them and you use sound and it's heartbreaking like you're not going to be able to learn how to do that from watching videos on LUTs you know what I mean that's not going to no. <laughs> that's not going to come from that bro and like it's just like that kind of experience uh you know that's no you can't learn that even in a film school they're not one was going to teach you that you're just going to that's just going to have to feel that out that sort of you know, cinemath of doing, what do I need in order to create this feeling? What am I trying to create here? That's only going to come if you've been doing your math, man. You got to, you got to build up those skills 
and you gotta put in the work right and to be able to do that and like like i said like when you do that you can break hearts you just you you can do it and it doesn't take much all it takes is some some voiceover and like you know and and two two actors faces like literally and just i mean i like i i just i love that scene i think i, I love that scene uh, so much knowing also what went into it but also like not just because of the story although the story is extremely compelling and personal but like knowing sort of what was on top of that is what brings it home it might want be one of my favorite scenes of all time i just love it um and i just that's not something that you're going to find in a youtube video even if you no. and i'm youtube taught and i'm a youtube tube person just like you and but it's just something that you're not going to get until like you learn the process you have to get out i mean some things i did learn in film school uh there were like notions and concepts you know of going in tight and how to use a long lens to blur out the background so like you get you do get notions of things mm -hmm. um and then when you study other films again made at your level you hear these things echoed there too like i didn't invent that you know it's like that came from just studying and listening to other people and oh okay how did they do this and you know then when you have to solve your own problems you have a catalog to turn to right well how did they do it or how did this guy do it or how did they do it in strays now you have a playbook mm -hmm. and you know it may look to other people like oh this guy's a genius no you just put in the work man <laughs> you just study you know like the answers other people have already figured this out they've already figured it out like you just need to get out there and learn and study and look at what they're doing you know stop looking at all these movies that are so above you start looking at the movies at your level where you're at they're still being made today you know and then everybody's like well indie film nobody watches indie film and all that stuff yeah because everybody it's like even the filmmakers are too busy studying kubrick stuff years ago it's like guys come on like you gotta get with the program you know like it's okay to be passionate mm -hmm. passion is amazing it's great but you have to also be practical. You have to temper your passion with practicality. Studying the right things at the right time, that's all about being practical. Like, how do we make this happen realistically with what we have? And it's just logic, it's common sense, you know? Like, if you're starting a business, you don't go study Fortune 500 companies and try to ape what they're doing. That's not where you're at, man. You know, you gotta study how to start a small business with, little to no capital that's where you're at you need to be studying how guys are doing stuff online or amazon if it's like that's what you need to be studying where you're at honor the level that you're at you'll grow so much faster that way and i think that's the other danger with youtube university sometimes is you get stuck in these wormholes where you're just studying all these film theories of all this amazing work that's been done in history and you spend four or five hours doing that right and then after you're done doing that, you feel powerless after. It's like, oh, great. This is awesome. All these amazing things that all these guys have done and they had resources I don't have. And you just feel like, how does that help me? Right. <laughs> you know, like, where, how does that help me do anything that I'm doing? It doesn't. Right. You're looking at a million videos on like the golden ratio, yeah. and things like that. And you're like, golden you know, era Hollywood and, yeah, and PT Anderson. And yeah. And you're like, you look at it and be like, well, I don't use that. How am I, how, how am I ever going to make, no, you gotta, you gotta, cause it doesn't matter. Like none of that stuff is, all of that stuff is stuff to keep in your head. It's great to have, and it's great to know, but until you learn how to tell a good story, because none of that stuff, all of that stuff is only going to be icing on top of telling a good story. And 
you're not going to be able to learn that by watching videos about LUTs or the golden ratio or Kubrick or Stanley like Stanley Kubrick and how every frame has 20 meanings or, you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah, you have to, you just have to be very practical about it. And you have to do the 50, 50 rule too. I think it's like, sure. Watch a lot of videos. Great. Um, but you have to 50% of the time you have to produce things too, though. Yeah. That's, that's balanced learning. That's contextual learning. That's how you get stuff to stick when you're learning, you know, and it's like, Oh, I feel like I learned a lot of stuff, but nothing sticks. Well, that means you're not actually doing enough because stuff sticks when you get the practical side in there you make mistakes and you're like, why isn't this working? And all my, I'm watching five tutorials because I'm trying to do this thing in the edit and it's just not working right. And I'm having to troubleshoot it. Right. Once you figure it out, you're not going to forget, right? <laughs> right? Cause you're like, man, I spent an hour trying to figure this thing out. Like that's how stuff sticks when you actually do the practical side. Right. You know, the skill building side, or you're making mistakes and you're running into that, why doesn't it work for me phase? I saw this guy do it, but I did it. And how come it doesn't work for me? You have to go into that phase for stuff to stick. Cause then you have to figure out why it doesn't work when you do it. And then once you do, now it sticks. Oh, it wasn't working because I didn't have this setting or I was too close to the actor in that close up, or I was slightly profiled and it's like weird. He's looking off camera and we don't feel close to him at all. And it's like, that's the stuff you got to get. So you have to balance the YouTube university with the actual pick your camera up at your sound recorder and actually go do something. Then it will stick. Yeah. And what's one more point we can wrap about before we tie it up Yeah. that we haven't touched on. We've touched on like the types of resources you should be in entertaining. We touched on just a practical roadmap, so to speak, shoot some scenes, then shoot some micros, then shoot a short. We touched a little bit on how to find collaborators, which I strongly suggest don't look for collaborators until you've actually shot stuff first or else that's just going to be a roadblock. Oh, I can't shoot anything because I don't have anybody to work with. Right. Okay. And then you never shoot anything. And then when you find somebody to work with, guess what? You don't know anything. So you don't have anything to offer. Like, no, you have to shoot, start shooting right now. Cell phone doesn't matter. Start shooting like compositions and rule of thirds and how close and how far to be from your actors to, to capture the emotion in the moment. You can learn all that stuff on a cell phone. It doesn't have to be a DSLR or mirrorless camera. You can learn that on a cell phone. Oh, I was too close. Oh, I'm profile and I don't feel the emotion. All of that stuff, you, you can make that mistake on a phone. So right. I'm a firm believer in shoot with what you got. The best camera is the one you got or the one you can afford or the one you can borrow. That is the best camera because at the end of the day, I mean, we shot on sound seven years ago on a 60D. That camera is dirt compared to what is available now. Like that I sensor is a dinosaur. On, 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 the, on the 60D, sir, I also shot a movie on a 60D. I won't have you spitting on my, my favorite camera. Because I, I think, I actually think, uh, you know, uh, I think that was one of the things that we sort of, I, I bonded to your channel over because I, I had shot my second feature on the 60D. And like, I just, I still feel like, even in this, you know, 4K, you know, you know, whatever and stuff like that, the ability of that camera that I feel like a lot of things, well, maybe sort of, you know, whatever. But anyway, it had, it was able to take, uh, you were able to create your own look within that camera. That was one of the things that I really liked about the sort of DSLR re revolution. Like a lot of stuff now is just built towards a post-production process where people are like building things for the edit and I feel like everything's been sort of revenge of the colorist for the last like 10 years or so. 
But for but for me, like when I did that, like I was about creating that look in the camera. And in order to do that, you had to have skills to, in order to be able to do that, to get that that sort of look, to get that look on set. I wanted to know what it looked like before I got to the edit. I didn't want to have to do all like a, like a lengthy stuff like that because I know I couldn't hire a colorist or anything like that because that's another art in itself. But like to be able to get that look on there and to be able to do it in something like a 60D where you did have control over your man, manual settings and like that sort of white balance shift, that kind of stuff. I really love that camera. And the, the, and the amount of lenses that were available for it or for cheap, they're like you could get these cheap Zeiss lenses that were so sharp um, to rent for it, like for like 40 bucks for a weekend. It was so cheap. Like that kind of thing, it just opened it up. I love that 60D. And I, I really, I don't know, you, there's certain things that I feel like, I feel like the, the sort of the Blackmagic pocket cinema camera is, is there, uh, like different things like that. But a lot of things now are just, everything's about shooting raw and about shooting these different things. So you can do things and add it, but it's like that sort of time, that place of being able to maintain a high resolution and being able to get, uh, to create a certain look without like a LUT or different things like that in a camera. I feel like I just miss that era of filmmaking a little bit, a little bit. And I like the 60D, I feel like was like the ambassador of that. I enjoyed that time. I think uh, I, I, I appreciate the camera for what it has done. And I had, I mean, I shot a feature with it, uh, some parts of a doc for the second, lots of YouTube videos with it. But I just think uh, the technology at the time when it was made has evolved and changed so much that I can see, I can see the, the age. Mm -hmm. And given that you can get something way better for practically the same price, it's hard to recommend getting a dated camera to someone getting no. started now when it's like, yeah, I've just definitely, um, I used it way longer than I should have because I was very much like, I don't care about like cameras. It's, it's all about the story. But I think um, eventually you, everyone gets to that point where it's like, you know, considering the cost of some of these things has fallen so much, you know, like right. the black magic and all that is like the quality you get for the amount of money you pay is ridiculous. It's like ridiculous. The black, and... magic, <laughs> the, the black magic pro that just came out uh as of this recording and stuff like that like last week and i was looking at it and i was like you mean you mean to tell me that you can get a cinema camera with a full-on like nd like it built in nd filters like that sort of like like that kind of stuff and like raw recording for 2500 bucks what are you talking about what are you talking about like you know, you and I, I think, are of similar vintages. Like, that was not possible, like, years no. ago. Like, <laughs> you're talking about, like, you know, that sort of red camera-ish, like, red camera-like kind of technology and stuff like that. That would have been, like, $10,000 just to off the bat, off the jump. It keeps, it keeps falling. And, I mean, it's going to be exciting to see what happens in the next five years with cameras. But I, I also think uh, as, as the quality barrier continues to fall and more people can get higher and higher quality for less and less, it begins to shine even more importance on all of those other hard skills like storytelling, being practical, knowing how to tell a story quickly under short periods of time with little to no money. Those things are only going to become more and more important right. because it's like, great, anybody can get great image quality, but so what? <laughs> 
you know, like what, what else you got? You know, like I, you can go on YouTube and there's tons and tons of videos with great image quality. That's like knock your socks off. Yeah. It's just like elevated B-roll, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to set to some really great royalty free music and just like, there you go. You know, beautiful. That's, that's where audio and things like that begin to set you apart. You know, knowing how to do a five, one mix and headphones and all that. That's when that stuff starts to really elevate because that's not something you can just get off the shelf and know how to do you have to spend some time and learn it and um experiment and study it but it's it it's more than worth it to go on that journey but uh yeah so yeah. i think maybe that fourth i don't know if we touched on a fourth point did we touch on a fourth point no. i know like the third one was about just being open to creating opportunities for yourself and taking on other hats which i think i have every i mean there was a lot of things i didn't want to do that i had to do to get where i am i didn't want to act but i had to learn how to act because there was no actors i didn't want to do is be a screenwriter but guess what i learned how to be a screenwriter because there were no screenwriters like i mean there were some people learning it but it's just that they were learning it i'm not going to go out and shoot a whole feature off of a script that someone is just learning how to make you know what i mean so i had to learn it on my own and workshop it and spend money and time having people tear it up you know so there was a lot of things that i had to be open to learning in order to create opportunities where i can be a director so uh i didn't want to be a producer but guess what i there were no producers i couldn't go oh you know here's 10 money men down the street i can go to with my idea no that's not how it works see for me so, I'm, I'm like the opposite like i wanted to write and produce i never wanted to direct i never wanted to be a cinematographer you know i never wanted to do any of those sort of things i never wanted disciplines. to be yeah like i never wanted to do any of that stuff i just wanted to write it and then watch it on set like i'm i'm willing to collaborate with like other people like that kind of stuff but you know there's nobody to direct there was nobody to to run sound there was nobody somebody had to do it and you know you end up having to take on these jobs in order to be able to showcase yourself like you said as some something else you know nobody's going to hear your words as a writer if you don't have other people saying them so you got to put that out there you got to direct those actors and get the the right thing out of there and somebody goes wow that was well written be like thanks i thanks i, I did that you know but they're never going to see that unless you have that you have something to showcase it like you know what i mean it's just one of those things you know in order to to do those things you've got to be able to you've got to be willing to do that other you have to want it you have to want it enough to force yourself to grow further in areas you never thought you had to mm -hmm. that's the only way you can create opportunities for yourself and it's very empowering when you take that on it's very depowering if you avoid it you know if you say i'm a sailor i need a ship okay well if a ship doesn't come along guess what you're not a sailor you know what i mean like an, act, an actor can't be an actor if they never have anything to act in you know it's like right. at, at a certain point you are what you do every day you are what you do so if you're not doing the thing you say you are are you that thing or are you just a guy who talks about doing that thing you know if you're that thing then find a way to do it you know period because you're not getting any better at it by not doing it so you have to create an opportunity for yourself to do the thing and then the better you get at it the more opportunities start to come your way but they don't come your way until you actually create them first so yeah but man, it has been a pleasure catching yeah. up. I know throughout the years we've kind of dropped in here and there. And I, I saw your first short. Wasn't it in a hotel room with a a guy and uh was it a prize some years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh that's uh part of uh my uh that's my second feature around the world. Uh but like um 
I've done, I think I've put out scenes and stuff for that, but yeah, like that, uh, you know, and I've, it's probably the most watched thing on YouTube. Well, it is the most watched thing on YouTube. It's like, it's got like, anyway, but like that, that was the one where I think it came, where filmmaking sort of came to me, where I feel like, cause I'd done so many different things before. And finally I was able to put something out there in the world that was more indicative of what I had imagined when I wrote it down on the page. Um, and I've just sort of been chasing that like ever since, like I, I, you get there sometimes, like, you know, there's other different things, but um, I also want to thank you for coming on the show. I, I've, I've really appreciated this conversation that we've finally get a chance to wrap. Uh, and like I said, I don't think anybody is, is able to be sort of a, embodying the spirit of making a movie for a thousand dollars better than you like like you the the, the king of, of tactical behind the scenes uh that that is <laughs> that is that is absolutely something that you should like put on a t-shirt or something like that or, or something like uh but yeah so uh, i i appreciate it everyone uh you should definitely follow Dar darius uh, find his YouTube channel, uh, D for Darius. Um, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, like Same thing. They're all, everything is D, the number four, and then Darius all the way across the board. Instagram is the same handle. Uh, there's, yeah. yeah, there's definitely value in it. Watch Darius's uh, film on sound. Uh, are we, well, that's the one thing I want to ask before we go. Uh, are, are we going to get like, another feature from Darius Britt. Like I, I'm, I, after watching it, I'm hungry now. I want, I want another one. I want another feature film. Like, what's up, man? What's up with that? For sure. Uh, I'm going to process more though of redefining how projects come about though. There's been a lot of changes in the industry. There's been a lot of changes on online. And I think there's a new business model out there that is just waiting to be uncovered that to me is more like a, a micro studio system you know like i want to be in a position to green light my own features and not necessarily be like looking for money from people to do features i think that day is kind of getting old man like there's other ways to make money and do it and other ways to keep your creative power and your creative freedom and i don't necessarily think nowadays i don't think the vibe is to find money men anymore especially well, with the cost of production dropping so low now it's like right. you can get some amazing stuff for next to nothing and i'm not trying to make star wars those aren't the types of movies i'm trying to make so you know well, I'm, one of the I'm, things that like i feel like and i i, well, I don't want to go off on another tangent but one of the things that i feel like is like there i know i love youtube because one of the things that I like about YouTube is, and nobody talks about this, is that even if YouTube is sort of the best platform to release things, because not only that, like YouTube is sort of uh, like agnostic in terms of everybody has YouTube, everybody can use YouTube and it's platform agnostic. You can use it on your phone, you can use it on a television, you can use it on uh, your laptop. Any YouTube goes everywhere. It is, it is ubiquitous it is all of these things like i watched your movie last night on my television not on my phone not on my laptop i used it watched it on my tv and it looked great like but there's also something to be said for something like let's say like an only fans type system where you can get put up content that is not regulated it is not uh, there's no rules as to what you can put up there like in terms of content there's no like 
YouTube bots to demonetize you to come by and do these things and, and say that, no, that's inappropriate. Uh, we're going to take your content down like that sort of thing. So you have to live inside of a bubble, but where you can also receive direct funding from the people who are interested, you know, if you could monetize the people who come back to your channel, like every week for your content, like there are a lot of people who do that different things like Patreon and stuff like, but they all come with these rules. And then the people who don't necessarily have these rules don't necessarily have the bandwidth in terms of video in order to be able to put something up or the, the ubiquity of being able to be like, you know, can you do, can you like stream this to a television? Can you do that to like, you know, can I have this, can I pick up and start, let's pick this thing and start watching it on my phone and finish watching it on my TV, like that sort of thing. The and ease I, of access. Right, like that sort of platform where you can just, like a streaming service where you can do those things, like Netflix is like that, where I can start watching something at work and then finish watching it at home on, a, on my phone or on, like on my TV or whatever like that, on my PlayStation, like different things like that. And I feel like, I don't know, we don't, there's nothing for us like that yet that we can control, that we have access to. YouTube is probably the closest, which it's is- It's close, kind of, YouTube's close, but monetizing is tough. Like you can't yeah. just be dropping features you spent thousands and thousands of dollars on and expect to make that back in AdSense. Like, right. <laughs> it, like there's gotta be other, you have to diversify some merch. Like there's other, you have to diversify the income. You have to have multiple, just like any other business, really. You know, you have to diversify your streams, but I'm willing to be, you know, one of the first guys to go hacking away in that forest and find a path, then to walk a path everyone else has walked and just get what everyone else has gotten, which hasn't been great. You know, some oh. people have poked through. Yeah, awesome. But a lion's share of people have been screwed with distribute like there's all kinds of sharks out there in the industry right now it's hurting because of covid and all that but i just think i'd rather be the first to do something new than the fifty thousandth person to do something that's already not doing that great right and even if, <laughs> like you said that when you have people that get these things out there to those you know sort and sort of quote unquote mainstream platforms and stuff like that you find out later they didn't make that much money or whatever like that. They did it no. to get it out there so that they could go to the next project and get like a better deal. But it sucks to have to put like, you know, a thousand dollars, like, you know, even, you know, $10,000 into a feature. And then, you know, you, then you put it out there. You don't even make that back. Like you just, you're just, just out there. You just put it out there. You're hoping that the next one's going to make you know, the previous money back or, or the next thing's money back. It's the problem is we're all growing older and there's only so much time you have right. and there's only so much energy you have and you can't, you can't carry on a business losing money all the time, especially <laughs> your own. You know, if you're charging on credit cards and all that, it's like at, at, a, at a certain point, all the bills and all that's going to catch up to you. And it doesn't matter how passionate you are about filmmaking. If you're not tempering it with practicality and logic and just common sense. Right you're not going to be able to keep doing it. You know, you're going to, you're going to want to have kids one day. You're going to want to, you know what I mean? Other expenses, life emergencies, you might get hurt on set. You might, you know, other things happen. And then money becomes very important all right. of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh man, I ain't got you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, guess what? Film's out the window. It ain't making money. It ain't paying bills. You know what I mean? I, at that point it's a luxury. Right. So it's like, I can't afford the luxury because that luxury is not putting food on the table. And if you want, if you want to be able to keep doing it and make it a part of your life and a part of your lifestyle and make it a career, you have to think of it 
as as just that a career a business so that way when things do get tough you can fall on your filmmaking to get through and not abandon it because it's not paying the bills right so um yeah and i'd rather i'd rather you know do the latter of the two and and think about it from a practical business standpoint um so that i can continue to do it and make the amazing content that inspires others and show others how to do it well um Darius, uh, I, I've loved this interview. I could talk with you probably all day about this stuff. <laughs> um, and I, I appreciate you coming on the show and, 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 and giving us your time uh, and dropping very practical knowledge that people need to hear, uh, especially on this channel. Uh, Darius J. Britt, T for Darius. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, everybody, Please take uh, his words to heart. I don't think anybody knows uh, more about making films. Well, I don't know. In this space, like I've, I have, I've seen a lot of different people, but I don't think there's anybody that I've learned more from besides maybe Ryan Connolly than you, like uh, that sort of thing. So uh, thank you for coming by and hope to talk to you soon, brother. All right, brother. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you.